Welcome to BitCast on Podcast One, the video game podcast with the Axeman. Welcome back to the show. It's me again, and if you can hear the air conditioner in the background, you are unfortunately going to have to live with that, because the alternative is me melting into a puddle over the course of this podcast. Also, I'm here. I'm Philip. I was here for, gosh, what games was I here for? Octopath, Mother 3, Persona 4, The World Ends With You, and now, Things. Now, we're going to talk about collectathons today, kind of a genre that I think has fallen to the wayside, but people are nostalgic for them, so a few of them have been popping up here and there every so often. Uh, the father of the collectathon genre is pretty much considered to be Banjo-Kazooie. That game is like really the one that people go to, I think. There's technically Mario 64 but I think that's a little more that's a little more mission based than collection based. Banjo really popularized actually having a ton of different things all throughout the level that you go search for. Like as the game goes on, you get more items based on doing work, but early on they're just sitting there and you have to grab them and that's it. There's different kinds mainly like Notes are there for you to just actually cover the entire level, where jiggies are more of that mission-based sort of style. It's a really neat trope how there are different tiers of items to collect, so that it often feels like the work tends to be proportional to the reward. Yeah, like, it paces out everything you're doing, so you're always getting just a little bit of that dopamine, doing something, getting some kind of reward, but... It kind of jacks that up a bit as you find something that's actually a lot more meaningful. Like you like you mentioned, the musical notes are a good way of kind of guiding the player around the level to see what all's there. Um, one thing with Kazooie being that if you die, you have to gather all the notes again. So the game really becomes about being able to cover all of the ground in one run through in the 64 version. Then they fixed that uh, to the disappointment of very few. Yeah. Let me guess, you're one of them. Oh, no, 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 <laughs> no. Like, I, I've, I've seen the arguments had. I was kind of neutral on it. Uh, I liked the idea of this challenge where you need to know the world enough to know which areas to explore. But it's not really fair on a first playthrough. Like, maybe you'll do Rusty Bucket Bay's engine room last, and you'll die at 90 notes. Yeah, that's... How are you supposed to know? That's, like, widely regarded as, the the most torturous area in the whole game. Is Rusty Bucket Bay, and then the engine room in particular. Which is funny, because it's not really that hard of an area... Like, in most games, you would maybe die there twice and come back and not remember it, but Banjo is just so incredibly punishing for death that just one room that happens to have bottomless pits is a nightmare. It's not just the bottomless pits, but it's also the moving platforms. Yeah, moving platforms, but those are just a platformer staple. Yeah, well, I don't know, I don't see platformers, like, rotating on an axis very much. 
That's true. I guess I've only really seen that in rare games. I don't know if Mario does that much. Mm, it has the the bolts along the screw that you kind of... Yeah, that's a little different. Yeah. Because you walk along the screw. More of the rotating is... Oh, I guess or the nuts. Mario, Sunsh- the nuts on Mario the Sunshine. Super Mario Sunshine has rotating platforms on the flood segments. Floodless segments. Oh, yeah, they, they do those sometimes. Those are kind of the worst platforms yeah, in and, and any those, game. Yeah, okay. We, we've figured it out. Rotating platforms on that axis are just bad. Or at least nasty. Maybe not bad design. People say that the ban- that Banjo Kazooie has aged better than Mario sixty four. Probably, uh, graphics wise, it certainly has. Good lord. Uh, aesthetically, rather. Um, I don't know. I figure Mario sixty four still works pretty well. I don't think I've played it that recently, but it's Mario's move set still holds up. The triple jump is still a great mechanic. It's not really clunky. I don't know. I can't remember anything about Mario 64 that just feels dated. Whereas in Banjo, losing all of your notes when you die does feel pretty dated. I I never really was all that attached to Mario 64. I always preferred other Mario games, but... So that's probably one of the reasons why it's easy for me to look at Banjo more fondly, because... It's a little more unique. It's like one of the very yeah. few banjo games to exist compared to all the Marios. Yeah, I should feel attached to Mario 64. I think it was possibly my first game. I wouldn't know I was like five, but yeah, it's it's pretty good. But banjo, banjo is just goofy and fun. You're the it has, weird bear with the smart talking bird. It has a lot more personality to it. Absolutely. And the different collectibles just keep the ADD at bay. Yeah, there's that primal satisfaction from collecting things, which is, is like the one defense I have of New Super Mario Bros. 2 is like, yeah, it's kind of weak, but I do like ga- grabbing coins. <laughs> right. And let's see, there's Mumbo Tokens and Jinjos and Honeycombs. Honeycombs are neat. Yeah, they're spaced out pretty well. There's enough of them so that like every two worlds you'll get a new health section, not counting the Spiral Mountain where you can just get a free one if you bother to look around. It's neat how Honeycombs are sort of kind of a tier above Jiggy, but also optional. Yeah. They give you just a benefit of their own that's permanent and measurable, whereas Jiggy is... You just kind of collect them and you can miss a few. Uh, if, if I remember right, honeycombs are harder to come by uh, than Jiggies. Generally. Yeah. They're kind of more like a deluxe bonus that you find off the beaten path, where Jiggies are the beaten path. Yeah. Uh, and I, th- I think it's that setup of having different collectibles accomplish different goals that makes the game feel really good. Yeah, as much as I like Mario Odyssey, that always bugged me how everything is just 
moon this, moon that. That's a good point. Like, your actions in that game don't feel like they have different weight, unless it's just a triple moon. Like, you can bust up a rock and find a moon, or you can go through an entire plot section and get a moon. Or a door. Yeah, that game could have used a couple more collectibles. Let's see, there's purple coins. Purple coins are nice. Yeah, but anything that you collect ultimately leads to a moon in some capacity, while the musical notes in Banjo, like, yeah, they get you to more worlds where you can get more jiggies, but they're really just for lair progress, and the honeycombs are for your health. Right. And Mumbo Tokens get you the new transformation for the world. Yeah, the only ones that kind of serve the Jiggy role are the Jinjos, and maybe random items that are unique to the world you're in. So, yeah, I think I would have really liked if Mario Odyssey had some item that you can pick up around the world to get more health. Permanently. That, I think, would have felt a lot more interesting than just moons all the time. I think if they ever do an Odyssey 2 or something like that, that that would be one of the things they should look into. Something along the lines of Mumbo tokens might be neat, but I don't know if that's quite what they go for nowadays. Yeah, Mario's never been good on... Well, yeah, they had the power-ups in Galaxy. Does Odyssey have power-ups? Uh, no, you just capture things. Gosh. Oh, well, yeah, the captures are good. I, I'll, I'll give the captures a pass. So, I'm trying to think about comparing the collectibles in Banjo-Kazooie with Banjo-Tooie, and in some ways they give you more to collect, but in some ways they give you fewer. Hmm. I'm not as refreshed on Tooie, so you can give me a run over there. I've heard Tooie described as a 3D Metroidvania. I've heard that too, it's pretty... Interesting. I wonder if I can find a map. Actually, uh, you know Fire Emblem Three Houses. The voice actor. Oh, I do. The voice actor for Sedith did a tweet once asking people for examples of Metroidvanias, and I commented like, "A oh, Banjo Tooie is kind of one if you think about it," and he liked it. Oh yeah, I remember that. You were very proud of yourself. I have small goals in life. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Oh, that, yeah, there's a neat map. Oh, right, because the worlds are interconnected, aren't they? Yeah, they do that in Banjo-Tooie, which would have been really yeah. cool to see more of in Kazooie, but oh well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a new idea they had for Tooie, and a pretty good one. Uh, I really like how you use the train to make your way into Grunty Industries. Oh, yeah, that's really nice. It's kind of interesting how some of the levels were swapped around in development from one game to the next game. Yeah, I'm trying to think. At the end of Banjo-Kazooie, the camel mentions he's going to go to a fire world. I was going to mention that. I love it. And they were going to have a fire world in Banjo-Kazooie, but then they couldn't, so they just put it in Tui and slapped a glacier onto the side of it. Yes. And huh. that's probably why they have a random lava room in the lair. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was always kind of weird, wasn't it? Uh, like, I think 
click clock wood. I don't I don't remember any hard evidence of this, but I remember people pointing out that it felt more like a Tui level in Kazooie than any of the other levels did. Because mm-hmm. uh, it's just because it's big. Yeah, it's big, but also it's like every jiggy. Well, okay, maybe not every jiggy, but almost everything is around doing some kind of task now. There's like scarcely a jiggy that's just out in the open. And if it is, there's usually the novelty of waiting for a different season to kind of pad it out. A few more characters to interact with than usual. And the fact that it has the most recycled enemies out of all the worlds in the game. And uh, I might be wrong, but aren't Tui's levels always a little more gimmicky? Sort of in line with the Clockwood season gimmick? Uh, trying to think of an example. I, I'm remembering Hailfire Peaks. That's pretty comparable to Click Clockwood. Uh... Oh, well, they're not the same on both sides, but you know. Some of the levels are kind of straightforward still. Like Pterodactyland, it's Dinosaur World. Yeah. Dinosaur World! It's apparently really bad, though! Uh, I... I wasn't really into it when I played it. I, I don't... Well, so, I haven't played that game since I was, like, eight. And Dinosaur World is really cool when you're eight. Yeah. Uh, I played it... Was it seven years ago? Yeah, just a little over seven years ago. Because I was going to play Zelda, but somehow my finger slipped and I played Banjo-Tooie instead. That That's hard to do with a cartridge. Props for that. <laughs> and I was just... Like, that was actually in, like, kind of the early days of me being on the forum with all of you. Because, like, some of my earlier posts have me talking about the Tooie levels. And I was saying how I didn't really like... Pterodactyl world that much, and then I said for Grunty Industries is like okay, it's like Pterodactyl Land, but worse. But it's also secretly, it's also secretly really good. It's kind of a love hate thing. Yeah, I wish I remembered that one better because it sounds really interesting. Just unlocking this giant puzzle box slowly as you go through it. Yeah, it's like conceptually my favorite world in the series. Or at least one of them. Right. But I was eight, so I'm sure I just bumbled around without any idea what I was doing and brute-forced it. Or, more likely, I just didn't do it and got my jiggies in other worlds. I'm trying to go back to how they give you fewer things to collect while also giving you more things to collect. Mm Mm-hmm. Please explain. Well, I remember figuring out that the notes you collect are kind of more like note bundles now. Oh yeah, I got the little treble clefts. Oh yeah, those too. Mm-hmm. Well, those are like 20, I think. Yeah, but the note, the notes themselves, what looks like a note, is now like five notes or something. Oh yeah, there's something like that too. And they give you a lot more egg types, but they're all in the same spot, they just cycle through. Right. Do they literally cycle through in front of you? Yeah, they just kind of change forms and you have to time walking into them. Okay. And then the transformation, instead of finding a bunch of tokens all around the different worlds, you find one, Uh, well, technically two, little creature in each world, and that's it. 
the Wampus. The Globo. Ah. You're thinking of Crash. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Oh, no. I I, I didn't like Globo because I thought I was thinking of Rayman, but that's Globox. Yeah. We're good. Okay, I'm thinking... There's too many games. We need to make fewer games. Well, they're all made by different people, so I don't know. Oh, never mind. But it's kind of interesting how they streamline a lot of the collectibles, but uh, it might be a little bit to the game's detriment, because since the worlds are so much bigger, it would be a little more helpful if the notes were scattered around a bit more and not bundled together. That's a good point, yeah. They can guide you through the world, which which Kazooie does a lot, except for that one on Treasure Trove Cove. It's kind of a weird Ocarina of Time Majora's Mask situation, where Majora's Mask is generally a more challenging game because it's designed with Ocarina of Time veterans in mind. It's kind of trying to pick up where it leaves off. That's fair. Because like the first mid-boss in that game is a monster that was exclusive to Ganon's castle in Ocarina of Time. And oh, yeah. translating that over to Banjo-Kazooie and Tui... Mayahem Temple is the first world in Tui, and it is a lot harder than Mumbo's Mountain. Oh gosh, it sure is. You could fit like three Mumbo's Mountains in there, too. Yeah, I played them in the opposite order, so I remember getting to Mumbo's Mountain. And like, oh, look at this nice, pleasant, simple thing. I can explore all of this, as opposed to Mayahem Temple, which I never explored all of, and never will. Well, maybe I will, I don't know. They also, in Tui, really go ham on the whole come back with a power-up from another world thing, which only happened once in... uh, Only happened once in Kazooie. Gosh, it's a Metroidvania. (laughs) I think I figured out, like, by the time you get to Hailfire Peaks, which is the second-to-last proper world... That is the first world where you can do every Jiggy in one go. Oh my. Wait, no. No, you can't. Isn't there... Yeah, you have to push an ice cube from... Well, that's... that's a Cloud Cuckoo Land. Well, that's a Jiggy for a different world. Oh, that counts? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Technicalities. In, in fact, that world, Jolly Rogers Lagoon, that's the world where you can do the least on your first visit. I think you can only get... Uh, okay, I remember the number four, but I don't remember which way I was doing the math, but... Uh-oh. You you either get only... You can either only get four on your first visit, or you have to, like, leave four behind for a later visit. And, like I said, you do the least there compared to any other world on your first visit. Well, I got maybe one or two jiggies on my first visit, because I was afraid of the blowfish... And couldn't finish that level for two years. What blowfish? There's a blowfish in Jolly Rogers, Rogers Lagoon. They're like red and angry looking. You mean the big thing that ate the whale girl? No, no, it's a regular enemy. Let me get uh... Can you show me in the Discord chat? I sure will. As soon as I remember how to type. Okay, in the meanwhile, let me... Uh, oh my, he is a 
big chungus. Lord almighty. I have to at least give them credit for that world. They knew you'd be swimming a lot. So, unlike Clanker's Cavern, they actually allow you to breathe in the water in that world. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh, Clanker. Oh, this thing. Yeah, I, I, I hate them. That no one can see. <laughs> they, they scared me. All the, those of you at home, Google Banjo-Tooie Blowfish and see this reddish-purple jerk who bullied me in elementary school. I don't even remember that thing. Well, I sure do. The blowfish in Donkey Kong 64 were terrifying, too. I just did not like various blowfish. Yeah, I'm, I'm noticing a pattern here. Oh, oh gosh, he's actually one of the Google results, too. Those menacing eyes. Did you, when you ever watched Spongebob, did you ever get nervous when it was an episode about boating school? No. Okay. That's more of a modern thing because of driving anxiety. So, anyway... Uh, I'm trying to think of trying to think of what startled me when I played the banjo games. I, I didn't like the book. The book? Yeah, the cheat book. Oh, uh, he's kind of spooky, ain't he? It helps that you generally... He's generally out of the way, so you don't have to encounter him very often, but that, that music that plays every time you're in the room with him is just like... Ugh. Like, that's like the one Grant Kirkhope song I really don't like. Okay. I can dig it. And then when you go into the lair in Banjo-Tooie, he's like right there in the door. It's like, ah! Mm-hmm. Just these, this floaty book. Doesn't he like flap at you? Uh, that's how he talks, yeah. Well, well no, when he talks, he's like, oh, 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 oh. Ah, disgusting. I remember wanting so badly to explore the lair in Banjo-Tooie. Yeah, that was weird for me, because I played that game... No, first, because it's the second one, I was out of order. And there was just this big castle that I couldn't enter. So when you played Kazooie, did it all come together? Like Yes. Like, oh, this was his home, it got destroyed, and you went in here to the creepy witch face. Yeah. And there's a whole game inside of it. You just played Banjo-Tooie. He's like, wow, this guy lives in a dump. (laughs) Probably. I didn't really have any concept for how destroyed it was. You live like this? (laughs) Basically. But, yeah, Tooie, like, it tries to do a lot of things to kind of differentiate itself from Kazooie without being, like, a jarring shift, which is a always a tricky balancing act but I think for the most part it paid off because I think while these days people tend to like Kazooie more and more Tui is still very fondly remembered yeah I remember mostly Tui getting a lot of hate and Kazooie being widely beloved but now I see them a little more equally Hmm. or see people referring to them a little more equally and I've never been able to make a verdict because I played Tui when I was 8 and Kazooie when I was, like, 15. I've never actually played Kazooie all the way through. And I've oh I've, I've been wanting to, but I, I don't want to set up the N64 and stuff. Yeah, it, and, and, oh gosh, and if you die, you'll lose all your notes. Yeah. Get an Xbox. Do it. <laughs> it's the only way. That's what Sakurai told me. Oh, no. <laughs> 
He did that presentation on Banjo-Kazooie and Smash Brothers, and he said, and if you want to play the game, go buy an Xbox. Really? Did that happen? Uh, more or less. Well, that's, that's the gist of it, because he had a translator speaking, but... Okay. And then he went on to describe all the characters in the game as sad souls. You know, yeah. I I would not want to live in a Rareware game. Yeah, fair enough. They just have these dismal, cartoony worlds. Tui was much darker than Kazooie, both in stakes and in comedy. Like, someone pointed out how, like, in Tui, Banjo is a lot meaner, but also he has more lines in Tui. Then it struck me that the players don't really talk very much in Kazooie, except when they're learning a move. Yeah, I guess not. So they doubled down on them talking, and it turns out Banjo was always a jerk. Or at least had limited patience. And then he learns Brugal Bash, and he's a real jerk. That's your reward for stop and swap, animal abuse. Ah, yes. I was telling this, because like, like sometimes I kind of geek out to Heffy over Banjo things. And I was, I was telling her, and I'll tell you now, and people listening to this, but it's kind of neat how... Banjo's forward smash in Smash Brothers being the Briegel Bash is kind of a slanted way of Smash Brothers referencing Stop and Swap because that move being there kind of relies on players knowing what that move is. The only way to get that is to do Stop and Swap. Okay. Yeah, I forgot that that's how you got it. I thought it was just mandatory. No, you you learn it by bringing a bunch of eggs and stuff. Like All the rewards for... Uh, stop and swap are actually kind of underwhelming, but I think they were never meant to be anything more than neat little things. It's the only reason that stop and swap is so storied is because it got gutted, and then people didn't know right. what it was supposed to do for the longest time. Mm. So wasn't it like cross compatibility for the two games or something? Yeah. So if 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 they pulled it off as they envisioned it. It would have just been kind of a neat little thing that gets brought up in right. trivia, and that's about it. It wouldn't have been this entire urban legend. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think it's kind of neat how Banjo games have that kind of lore to them. It's like, oh yeah, stop and swap, and stuff like that. Like, Banjo has a lot of things surrounding it that really helps cement it as being kind of the icon of collectathons it has all those things all those like little stories that people have it has grant kirkhope i think it's really telling how sakurai went out of his way to get grant kirkhope to do a remix for ultimate for banjo's stage oh absolutely because like the dude's a legend grant is as much part of the series as gruntilda for me <laughs> gruntilda I think that was actually his Twitter handle at one point. I I am not remotely surprised, actually. Well, it's it's really nice how Grant and a lot of the folks at Rare still fondly remember the days at Banjo Kazooie, at Banjo Kazooie, at Rare, doing Banjo Kazooie and Banjo Tooie like that. It's like, like they really liked what they did, and it's not something that like, oh yeah, I did that game once. It's really their series that you can really identify with them. 
a year or so ago, there was this uh, guy named Family Jewels. He's a musician. He got to do a heavy metal remix of the final boss theme with Gruntilda, and he got Grant Kirkhope. Oh, yeah! I saw that! Yeah. Very cute. Very cute. Someone else pointed out how, at the time of filming, Grant probably had to have known about Banjo and Smash. Oh, that's cute. But, uh, yeah, it's just really nice how th- there's just this kind of, like, there. it's more than just the two games. It's this entire, like, atmosphere and kind of culture around the games. And I think that goes a long way towards why these two games are so fondly remembered compared to other collectathons. Yeah, I can see that. Looking at you, Donkey Kong 64. Well, I was I was going to be a little more graceful about it, but yeah, no, we can talk about Donkey <laughs> Kong now. Okay, let's see. Gosh, that one added more collectibles, didn't it? It came out between the two Banjo games, actually. Oh, did it? Okay. So, they uh, they got the fumes kind of got to their heads after Banjo Kazooie, and they they tried to they tried to ground themselves again before Tui, but it didn't quite work. I I remember, I think it was on the Kickstarter for ukulele, they were talking about the number of collectibles they had, and they said, don't worry, we gave the guy responsible for Donkey Kong 64's collectibles a stern talking to. Yeah. Something like that. They've always... Like, they know. They've always been really self-aware. There's no shortage of nuts and bolts jokes in ukulele. Uh, oh, of course. Or at least, at least in one of the trailers I saw. I didn't play that much of ukulele. Nor have I. We, we 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 cannot cap off the collectathon talk with that modern collectathon. Yeah, I I did a whole episode comparing ukulele to banjo. It was one of my very first ones, and I I, okay. I could probably stand to do a better job at it, but I, I just couldn't get into it. All right, we're covered. Uh, Donkey Kong sixty four. Yeah, the basic problem of Donkey Kong sixty four is the tag barrel, because. You can go somewhere, and you explore a place, and there's items, but you can't collect them. Yeah. Your nice dopamine is delayed. You have to go back to a tag barrel, and walk back over, and then you collect your thing. Yeah, I think what they wanted was to incentivize exploring with each of the Kongs, but really it just kind of turned into a big chore... Yeah, and even if you are exploring with each of the Kongs, which you are, they don't really have different movesets, so you're just doing the same thing with a different cosmetic skin. They do have different moves, but a lot of them are contextual. Yeah, they're context-sensitive. Tiny's flight is just about the only one that's consistently useful for getting around. Yeah, most of them are more offensive. Well, Well, I don't know, there's Lanky's handstand... That's true. But most of them are... Well, okay, well... Well, no, that 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 one is context-sensitive because he only handstands when he needs to. <laughs> but, yeah, see, like, Tiny and Lanky are better at getting around. Uh, Chunky is more offensive. I don't remember what, what Diddy's... Like, I know what his moves are, but I don't know what his unique quality is. Yeah, they don't really build into anything. I think all of... 
All of his tools are context sensitive, no, I think. No, that's Donkey Kong. Like, everyone has a move that correlates to a pad, one that correlates to a barrel, and one that they can just do whenever they want. But Donkey Kong's one that he can do, do when he wants. That one requires it's a... a lever? Yeah. A lever. Oh. Yeah, I think Diddy can charge up a little slam and run forward. Oh yeah, that's it. So he's offensive-based like Chunky, but he's not really... Like, yeah. It's not really viable. No, not really. And even Chunky's punch. I mean, it, it, it's really satisfying, I'll give it that. I don't know if it's very good. There's a mod for the game that allows real-time Kong change that already makes the game seem a lot more manageable from the sound of it. It sounds like it, but I have to wonder if there's really any game left at that point. Well, you still gotta do like, the tasks for the golden bananas and grab. Yeah, th- there are tasks. That's grab true. the collectibles that fuel some of your other abilities. Grab the coins so you can buy ammo. Grab the ammo. Yeah, I guess there are good platforming segments in Donkey Kong 64. Like, I really like the central vertical area of Frantic Factory which has those cylindrical spinning platforms we love. Oh yeah, they they have a lot of collectibles and like Banjo-Kazooie and Tooie, they're really good at being at different tiers of usefulness. But mm-hmm. they did go a little extreme on them. Like uh in Jungle Japes, there are miniature bananas for Lanky, Tiny and Chunky even though like, there's no reason to bring them to these levels. <laughs> Oh, well, wait a minute. Don't the miniature bananas let you unlock the boss? Yeah, but you can't go you can't... to the next world unless you beat the boss in the current one. Oh my god, they're literally worthless. Yeah! I never thought about that. Donkey Kong 64, why? You can still get golden bananas with them, but not the colorful bananas. Yeah, well, golden bananas are useful yeah. with them. Though... Sam, I'm trying to remember everything you need to beat the game, which is to beat K. Rule. Is you need a hundred golden bananas out of two hundred. You need fifteen banana medals so that you can play Jetpack. Then you uh. you need the prize from Jetpack and Arcade Donkey Kong. Uh. And I think you need uh, four arena crowns. Yeah, that rings a bell. I don't remember if any of the fairies are mandatory or not. There's a... No, fairies are a bonus. Are blueprints required? Uh, technically, but technically also not. I know they give you extra time on Hideout Helm. I don't know what the base time is and if it's reasonable or not. The base time is about ten minutes. That's awful tight. Yeah, incentivizes you to go fight the Kasplats. But I guess they're not required. I mean, if you're speedrunning Donkey Kong... Actually, if you're speedrunning Donkey Kong, I'm sure they found a way to not even do Hideout Helm somehow. Oh, yeah, the game's a bit buggy in that respect. I don't know what speedrunners do. They they could probably, like, jump out of Donkey Kong's house at the right angle and end up in Gloomy Galleon, for all I know. They, They do a BLJ and do a bomb jump and clip through the whatever, I don't know. And that puts them under the truck where they'll find the Triforce. 
Oh, there you go. That's how you beat Donkey Kong 64. <laughs> now I'm just imagining if Donkey Kong was in Ocarina of Time instead. Oh my god, that's even better. Gosh, let's see. Yeah, Donkey Kong 64, like, a few months before I played Banjo-Tooie, my brother randomly decided to play Donkey Kong 64. He wanted to 100% it, because huh. he kept... On purpose? Yes! <laughs> I was even like, uh, he was like, I'm a completionist, Alex. And I, I watched him, and he kind of, like, to be fair, but also not fair at the same time, he started halfway through... Like, the save file was already halfway there, but he had okay. he hadn't done any of the hard stuff yet. It was all the easy first oh. worlds. But I, That's no good. I watched him, and he, he kind of grew to regret his decision. He still did it, but he regretted it. And then, and then I repeated his mistake with Banjo-Tooie, but... With, oh, with, no. me, well, that, with me, I just wanted the jiggies. I didn't go for anything else. But I... I did still have to win that that race with the canary. Oh no. I didn't even do the hardest version of that. I just did the jiggy version of that and it was just like ah like I, I had to do the trick that they they talk about online where you get like a spoon to kind of protect your fingers or something for tapping. Yeah. Well isn't the trick to it just that she has rubber band AI and you're supposed to go slow at the start? Yeah, but I don't know, there was a weird timing, I couldn't quite go slow enough. And, oh, speaking of annoying races, the Scarab in Donkey Kong. Oh, no, I, well, I don't remember. I have fond memories of the Scarab, but they're also very angry memories. Oh, boy, I was angry at the Scarab. Something like that. Like, it was really hard, but, like, you know me. That was Baby Philip's first moment when he realized he was a masochist. That was my awakening. Oh no, I don't like that. Uh, but yeah, like, you go fast, you have to learn from your mistakes, and... This, uh, gosh, isn't the Scarab, like, a jerk? Doesn't it laugh at you? Uh, I don't know, I wouldn't put it past them. I I feel like that happened. But maybe that's just just the pain in my memory. I just think it's a little unfair, because... You start. You already start with like it already gets a head start. It's a little ahead of you. Oh yeah. And you're not even sliding at first. You have to like walk, and you can get knocked out of sliding and have to walk for a little bit. Right. That's that's kind of weird. That's why I was so angry because the scarab always got a head start. And you could attack the scarab to distract it a bit, but ah, oh, I don't know if I did that, but I would have loved to. Uh, rare games. Those rare collectibles. Except for Tui, they had a habit of giving you really horrifying game overs. Oh yeah, those were the days. And just for quitting the game, even. Yeah, they did that too. Those weren't the days. It's kind of funny how the game over sequence in Donkey Kong 64 is now K. Rule's final smash in Ultimate. Oh I'm yeah, trying, that's cute. I'm trying to think of like, what if like Banjo's final smash was to somehow summon mutant tootie over to beat up the other characters or something. <laughs> Please. Please. I would love or it. Summon hot Gruntilda to kind of distract everyone, I don't know. Oh, oh god, no, no, not with the modern internet. Oh, don't do that. No, no okay, it'll, it'll just be replaced with Bayonetta. Don't give that. <sighs> She's right there in the game. Well, give the internet that one. So, uh, yeah, 
I like to think that uh, Donkey Kong 64 was kind of the breaking point for a lot of people, but then Banjo-Tooie was kind of like their, like, they didn't learn anything, I'm done with this genre, and then the genre kind of quietly died for a while. Mm-hmm. It's... For a while. It's just, like, Donkey Kong 64 was their second 3D collectathon. As much as many fond memories as people have of 60, Donkey Kong 64 and Banjo-Tooie, Banjo-Kazooie seemed to be the only one that didn't really burn people. Pretty much, yeah. It is a very inoffensive game other than dying and losing all your notes. Yeah. Have I mentioned that that's a thing that happens? And then you you get the same people making ukulele, which... I don't think people complained about the collecting so much as various other things in that game. I never really kept up on just what the complaints were, but I heard the argument that it pretty much was exactly what people were asking for. It's just people don't like collectathons anymore. I think it's the thing that it didn't learn from the the era. It it had a lot of neat ideas and a lot of neat twists to the formula, but a lot of the problems were still there. Right. And just on for my end of it, it just didn't feel satisfying to control things. It's like wearing a shoe that. that's too small and having to work all day with it. Do you have do you have something to tell the class? They, then they made a sequel to Ukulele, and it was very blatantly inspired by the Donkey Kong countries instead. And that one was a lot better received, but it wasn't a 3D collectathon, which is a little discouraging. That they're trying to recapture the banjo magic just didn't work out. It makes me think that they're just gonna stick to. Donkey Kong Country stuff now because I'm gonna admit it I'm a little I'm a little tired of sideways platformers I want to see 3D ones again. Let's see, there's two ways I can go with that. I guess I can see the collectathon formula not appealing to people much these days. I think it's very kid friendly, in the sense that you're just exploring this wide open space. There's occasional mini game sort of challenges that you do but it's largely just getting to experience a world, or experiencing that world five times if you're Donkey Kong 64. Whereas adults who've played a lot more games just kind of see that and wonder why there's a wide open space where they can't do anything. That is one way of looking at it. On the other hand, there is Hat Game. Okay, yeah, A Hat in Time, which came out... Ah! Which came out at kind of the same period as Ukulele, maybe a little before or after, I don't quite remember. I think it might be earlier, I don't know. And it was once I played that game, I was like, okay, I don't need a new banjo, this is good. No, no, we're good. Um, it actually is a lot lower on the collecting, I think. Yeah. Isn't it just timepieces and yarn? Not quite, there's also the relics the relics. Yeah, the relics. It's hard for me to remember because you mostly get collectibles early in the game and then you still have a lot of timepieces left. Yeah, the relics are those little miniature models that you can place around the ship. Oh, okay. Completing one unlocks yeah. the purple time rifts. 
And you can also collect arcade tokens, and those are good for collecting a random type of article of clothing or hat type or something. Ah, uh, yes, the cosmetics. Okay. That's kind of in line with Odyssey's purple coins, just something that earns you a cosmetics, or no? That was regular coins in that game. Uh, a little of both. I forget. A little of both, okay. Also, when you're on the Steam Workshop, you start collecting all the different mods. Oh, that's cute. I call a lot of things cute, but that in particular. But it does tend a little more towards a mission structure, I think. But a lot of its missions kind of encompass large points of the world, so you're still exploring a wide-open space, but you're doing it for a more specific purpose. Basically, the only world that doesn't encourage exploring is the movie studio. Pretty much, yeah. Um, Alpine Skyline and Subcon Forest do get a bit linear after you find an objective. Mafia Town is very, very banjo, on the other hand. Uh, a pretty banjo, uh, has, has a lot of Mario Sunshine aesthetics to it. It's, it's, like, for, for comparing it to the banjo games, it, uh, it kind of takes a lot more from the GameCube era of Nintendo than anything else. Probably, yeah. It does have a lot in common with Isle Delfino. Yeah. And then all the Paper Mario Thousand Year Door references. Oh, gosh. Huh. Yeah, I can see it. And then the uh, general art style is a little Wind Waker-esque. Especially when you put Hat Kid in the green clothes. Ah, the baby. Uh, okay. I guess mostly the gist I get from Mafia Town is how it's a really complex, vertical, and layered space. Well, not really layered. It is just a cone, I think. But... You can go up, you can go any other way, there's always going to be something wherever you go, and so a lot of the earlier missions for it are just about finding stuff because it's so big. Oh yeah, I remember when I was I was just messing around Mafia Town during the second level of the game, I was like, it was between that and playing Odyssey that I was like, maybe I do like exploring around in games more than I thought I did. Because up to that point, Breath of the Wild kind of burned me on the idea. Right. Hat and Time, more just is very dense, but still pretty big. Mafia Town always has some kind of platforming challenge that you can do to get to another place faster. And uh, what I really enjoy about it is in the Death Wishes, where it gets more difficult, it starts being challenges that time you as you try to go somewhere. So you have this big, complicated space, and it becomes about understanding it well enough to find the fastest route from one way to another. Speedrunning tactics. Speedrunning, but like, if you think of speedrunning Super Mario Bros, where it's two-dimensional, it's just mastering the route that's in front of you, where getting through Mafia Town is more about finding a specific well, route. Well, speedrunning in general is, like, they have to know the game finding they're playing. They have to know the levels like the back of their hands. Yeah. And so, it is literally speedrunning. That's a lot of death. what Death Wishes are, which is just a clever way to make a 3D platformer difficult. It's kind of like the comets in the Mario Galaxy games, so it's like... Oh, yeah. Another... Well, actually, no, that was the Wii era. It's not the GameCube. 
But I, I remember Subcon Forest in the the ghost house level is before I even went there, I just kind of started messing around off to the side, partly to delay the inevitable, but also partly because I was <laughs> looking for a different... I think I was looking for yarn, I don't remember. I, I was looking yeah, for yarn, stuff. Yeah, yarn, time riffs. Time riffs are kind of hard to find there. So yeah, I'm not as big of a fan of the exploring in Subcon Forest, because if I remember right, a lot of it is kind of empty. There are a lot of set pieces where I'm like... What was this supposed to be all about? Yeah, they do kind of just put in things that are just kind of there to fill in the world. Which I think works really well for Mafia Town, where there's something literally everywhere. But in Subcon Forest, they're kind of scattered amongst nothing. Yeah, it's kind of a a bit of a haphazard way of implementing a world like that, and kind of shows that Subcon was one of their earlier levels, because everything else is either really linear, like Dead Bird Studio, or it's more cordoned off, like the Skyline, or the Metro, or if you like the boat, it's all, like, conjoined into one space, like Mafia Town. Oh, I love the boat. Don't get me started on the boat. I'm gonna get started on the boat. Uh, So I think that one is... A really interesting case of exploration in the game, because it does get into that speedrunning sort of deal and it's Death Wish, where you're just playing Diner Dash over this huge Metroidvania space. And so it becomes all about understanding where everything is and where the fastest way to get to some places from any given part of the boat. And it's kind of a platforming challenge, but also just understanding a space, which isn't something I've seen in many games. I I couldn't do that level even on the normal version. I think that's where it, I think that's where the game it, broke it is, me. It, it is nasty. Um, I think if you played it early, they made the, the base level easier. I think in the original release of it, um, they didn't give you a trail, but then they patched it so that there's always a guiding arrow to the closest thing you need to go I, to. I played it on either like the first or second day it was available. Yeah, I think they patched it to make it easier, because it was too hard. But the Death Wish doesn't give you the guide either way. And that is extremely nasty. A a, a comparison I'd like to propose is that uh, Hat in Time is to the Banjo games what Octopath Traveler is to the earlier Final Fantasy games. As it's very clearly a throwback that's inspired by the games, but brings a lot of modernity to it. I can see that, yeah. With both games, I kind of felt the same vibe of, wow, this scratches the itch of playing an old game without having to deal with all the nastiness from the old game. Pretty much, I can agree with that. I think Hat in Time goes a little harder on the dialogue. Uh, Banjo is also pretty hard on the dialogue, so maybe it is pretty direct. Especially in Tui. I've honestly never really thought of Hat in Time and Banjo and together. Like, obviously, yes, there are some connections there, but I just kind of saw it as N64 platformers in general. Although I guess half of those are Banjo. <laughs> yeah. So that'll do it. But, yeah, it adds a lot of modernity. Is that a word? I'm sure it must be. And 
Let's see. One thing I really like is Hat Kid's move set. Oh yeah, it's just very satisfying. Double jump is safe but controllable, but you have the dive, which is very risky because it gives you a lot of ground to cover, but also it's harder to control, and you will bump into things sadly and pathetically. Well, you can equip a badge to reduce the bumping, but that takes up a badge you spot. Can, you can also, do you that. can you can also cancel out of the dash. You can, and I love it. And Hat Kid just feels very mobile, but like you have to understand what you're doing to be mobile. Where Banjo is a little more rigid. Like you can get your double jump with Kazooie, but it's mostly there to kind of soften each jump so that you can see where you're going in 3D space. Yeah. Uh Yuka and Lele felt pretty rigid in the small time I had with them. Okay, that seems definitely like something where Hat and Time saw a need to improve and did it wonderfully. Yeah. And that could probably be an issue with ukulele that caused it to get the reputation it has. Because people just don't want to be slow in plotting in this great year of... Well, it was 2018, wasn't uh, it? Please tell me it was 2018. It, it was the late 2010s. Okay, that that could be a lot of things. I think it's worth mentioning, I probably wasn't in a good space to play ukulele either. I was at a friend's apartment, and he was just kind of there the whole time, and we were, I was trying to tell him about other stuff, and I, I might have been in a bad mood, I don't remember. Or I was tired, I don't okay. remember. But the game still like, got I, I... bad press, so... Yeah, I can still judge it on all that. And uh, I think we can also see Hat and Time ditching a lot of collectibles. But it also makes sure that everything is really distinct. Relics, I guess, ultimately amount to a timepiece, but Yarn gives you powers, and that's completely different. Yeah, and there's still the tokens that get you cosmetics. And the tokens. So you... Different collectibles give you a different feeling, you know, a different purpose that you're accomplishing with it. Yeah. I guess the badges, well, okay, those are sold to you, that's a little different. Do you not find any in the wild? Uh, maybe a couple. Mm -hmm. I think there might be a few. Let's see. Let's see. Interestingly enough, Grant Kirkhope had very minor involvement with A Hat in Time. He did one song. Oh, which one? He did the spaceship song. Huh. The rest of the game was done I... by Pascal Michael Stifel. And God bless him. Yeah. This is an amazing soundtrack. I feel like the fact that they got Grant Kirkhope to do just that one song even just kind of speaks to how ingrained he is. Like He's kind of the the mascot of banjo nostalgia at this point. More or less, yeah. And wasn't it, was he just the composer? For, did he do anything else? Uh, he did some of the voice grunts, but so did a lot of the other employees. Uh, I, 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 I can believe that. He was... M- but like, like he was Mumbo, he I, was the Jinjos, he was the little lair grunts, he was okay, Donkey Kong. I, I'm glad you know that I'm glad you know that off the top of your head. I know voice actors. But 
<laughs> voice actors, of course. But like, I don't know. I don't know who directed Banjo. I just know who the composer it is. Might have been. Uh, I think it was either Greg or Steve Males. I, I forget which one it okay. was. They're like brothers. Who's David Wise? He's the composer he for the Donkey Kong Country trilogy. For Donkey Kong? Oh my gosh, that's a completely different thing. I thought those were the same guy. Son of a gun. Okay. The only Donkey Kong game Grant did is Donkey Kong 64. And he also voiced okay. Donkey Kong. I can, I can believe that. Donkey Kong 64 has a lot of xylophones. Yeah, and it does a lot of, a lot of like self-remixing. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it it's weird that the composer of all people <laughs> is the mascot for the games. Like that doesn't really happen very often. I guess the music just had that much of an effect on people and he is like a musician through and through. He really put thought into some of the soundtracks like he wanted Absolutely, they're great. Like not just like the sound, but he kind of he really like knows like music theory and stuff too because he wanted like like a certain dissonance between the notes or something like that to kind of highlight the contrast between banjo and kazooie themselves the voices well i mean probably like representing their personalities or something how they're different from each other well what noises are you talking about i said notes yeah but which uh, notes uh, I don't, I don't remember. It was a weird measure. Like he talked about it in the Game Grumps episode. He did. Okay, there. It's just like there are a lot of things in banjo that could be meant by notes. Oh yeah. Seeing as you literally pick up notes, I was very. Well, since confused. we're talking about the composer, I figured. And by the way, when I say composer, I'm not talking about that guy. So don't get any ideas in case you're lost. Okay. Yeah, but. Oh, okay, well now I'm just imagining the world ends with you, but with Grant Kirkhope as a character. Okay. Oh my, oh my god. I wish Grant Kirkhope ran a giant city in Japan. This, well, this can be the same timeline yeah. where Donkey Kong is the hero of time. Oh, okay, so, yeah, he, 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 he's the god of Hyrule Castle Town. Because <laughs> every town has a god. And Donkey Kong saves the world. From Ganon. From, from Ganon. <laughs> yeah, Ganon's the same. Just, just fires his coconut gun into Ganon's face after he unlocks the light coconuts. <laughs> and it really hurts. <laughs> oh, no. For his neutral special, Where Donkey we... Kong uses a gun. No. Oh. He doesn't. He punches. And it's really boring. Yeah, Donkey Kong was done dirty in Smash Brothers. Like, of all the characters, like, like people complain that, are, oh, Marth doesn't talk like that. It's like, like, at least, at least they, like, at least they're not Donkey Kong. D- DK can roll now. We like uh, him. I mean, I, I guess there's Donkey Kong Jungle Beat. He does punch a lot in that game, but... Well, uh, we're credited... Credit where credit is due. Gorillas and punching go hand in hand. I don't know. Gorillas are kind of docile. That wasn't that... Well, right, but like if you see it and you imagine it fighting, it would punch. I guess so, but gorillas are peaceful creatures. Like Why do you think G- it was such a big deal that Clayton was trying to kill them in Tarzan? No, oh, don't even get me started. 
And if you're gonna put him in a fighting game, he's gonna fight. Maybe he should. His body is clear. His body is clearly geared toward punching. It's too bad he can't throw a barrel or anything. He should have some attack like that. And punching should perhaps not be his most notable move. I do like the Donkey Kong 64 references in Smash Brothers to kind of bring us back on topic. I do like that they oh, acknowledge yeah. that game with Diddy's Peanuts and Jetpack, and they even brought that into the other uh, country games, but Donkey Kong doesn't get that. It's like, it's like Diddy is the only one who remembers he was in that game. Yeah, and even then, his Smash Bros. incarnation is just a monkey otherwise. Well, yeah, but I mean, at least he has the guns and the jetpack. Now, for Diddy's neutral special, he really does use a gun. Oh my god. So does K. Rule. How did you bring? How did? You, how did you bring us to that? How did you bring us back to that? Well, see, I've been doing this for a lot of episodes now, so you kind of learn. Oh my god. Hate you. Donkey Kong is the only Donkey Kong character in Smash Brothers to not use a gun for his neutral special. Oh goodness, I, I'm I'm sure you already knew this off the top of your oh, head. Yeah, it's as easy as pressing D well, with mean, either of the characters. I, I mean, I also know it off the top of my head, but I've never really made the association. You've made it a long time ago. <laughs> it is not buried within your subconscious. It is right there on top. So, collectathons. Remember when we talked about those? Collectathons. Like, we kind of we kind of hit um, all the big ones. Yeah, we hit all the big ones that I have much to say about. I'm not going to count the Marios very much. I, I, we don't need another hour of me ranting about Odyssey. Are you are you playing with a pen or something? Yes. I, I can hear it. Not anymore. Uh, Mario not is more. kind of a weird... Like, Mario didn't even do much collecting between... Between Odyssey and, like... I mean, it depends on how you count the Galaxy games or not. But if you don't, then it was Sunshine... Galaxy is very mission-focused. Even Sunshine is mission-focused, but the areas are a little bigger. Or more spread out, not necessarily bigger. It's kind of funny how in 64, you could do the stars in any order, which made the worlds feel a bit more open, but in reality, they just hadn't quite figured out how to like code the levels properly to recognize the different missions. And then games like... Galaxy 2 with the green stars kind of build on that concept, so now it's on purpose. I feel like Odyssey is kind of like a marriage between the the mission structure of like the Galaxy games, but with the open-endedness of the green stars in Galaxy 2. So it's like, like collecting is always like an evolving process in games over time. Ukulele's problem was that it didn't evolve at all, but like you can always tell they're like they're they're trying to kind of do things in different ways. It's a genre that isn't always the same like when you really pay attention to it, I think. Like I guess with Odyssey, Odyssey's evolution is weird because it just said, "Well, we have the hardware to put in 800 collectibles." Let's just do that. I meant how I meant how it compared to the past Mario games more because like Mario's kind of in its own bubble where it has to kind of compete with itself. But like compare 
the hat to all the rare games and see how the formula it can be done it just you know you have to change a bit on like ukulele's problem was that it didn't change at all well it changed a little bit but it didn't change in all of the right ways like hat in time i think it makes the small collectibles really small yeah, you don't feel bad for missing them. And it kind of it really is mostly a mission structure sort of game. It just has side things for you to find as bonuses. Yeah, it's just which which is just a fun way to go about it. It's like how I was saying with the golden honeycombs and banjo. Have a collectible set aside as a bonus so that you can feel good for getting it and get closer to something. But then you also have the main mission. Yeah, I I guess I do kind of consider Hat in Time to be a more of an exploratory game than a collecting game, but it's very often put in the same breath as the Banjo games that I, I couldn't really help but compare them. Yeah, and I think just the fact that notes are missing is a big change. You're not meant to go over every single surface of the world for the most part. You're just supposed to kind of explore it for fun and on your way to find other things. Yeah, they kind of put it like more in your controls. Like, no, you want to explore, you explore. And it rewards you for exploring by giving you faster ways to get around or just, I guess, in Subcon Forest case, letting you find stuff in the first place. Hat in Time is the Breath of the Wild of Collectathons. Oh, gosh. Is that true? I don't know. No, because I like... It's not true because I like a hat in time. Z-snap. Get all that hipster cred while I'm on air. I thought it was... Actually, no, I, I like Breath of the Wild, but we're not allowed to talk about that. You collect things in Breath of the Wild. It's a collect-a-thon. Oh, see, now it's, now it's getting weird. It's like... God! <laughs> God, it really is! Like, are we just going to call every game a collect-a-thon now because it has items? Like, uh... In Xenoblade Chronicles, you can pick up little items for side quests. That's a collectathon. Well, like it's it's a big open world. You you collect the things that boost your health and stamina. You collect weapons, and you collect the 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 what the big the big Goliath things. It's a collectathon, but it's not a Metroidvania. No. Hmm. I think I peaked with that one. Yeah. And then... Uh, I don't know. I, I could probably tie it back to Donkey Kong being Link somehow, but it, it would just be forced. Oh, I... Hmm. How would I feel about Breath of the Wild except you were playing as Donkey Kong as he appears in DK64? You wouldn't be able to climb, so it would be really boring. That's my verdict. He'd be voiced by Grant Kirkhope. It would be perfect. If Grant Kirkhope did music for Breath of the Wild, that was like... Oh my god. (laughs) That would be so different. Uh, And like, it would be inherently amusing, but it would not get the same appeal at all. Hyrule Warriors did a thing where it played a lot of, like, metal versions of Zelda songs, and Grant is actually kind of a metalhead, so if, like, they could get him for, like, Hyrule Warriors 2 or something, 
Like, that'd be kind of neat. And I don't I don't feel bad about these diversions, because talking about Grant is kind of the same as talking about collectathons. Yeah. I, yeah, does... What did Grant do after Banjo? Uh, where, where did he go? He still does some games. He uh, did Viva Pinata. Oh, okay, so he was just trapped on the Xbox. Well, now now I think he's kind of a freelance guy, because he's with Platonics, because he did yeah. ukulele, right. he did that one song in Hat in Time, he also right. did Mario and Rabbids. Oh, nice. He had this kind of story where he did the classic Mario Game Over theme for the game, and Nintendo sent him a note that was like, no, 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 do it like this, and it was like the bar with all the notes on it and then he he hung it up somewhere in his house because nintendo sent him the game over theme oh my god like he he loves what he does he enjoys being a part of this Mm -hmm. and he has acknowledged me on leaving comments on his twitter everywhere once in a while so it's like first the sedith guy now grant kirkhope gosh okay i'm done i have nothing else to add to this yeah, we we have been reaching. We 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 we've put Donkey Kong into so many horrible situations. I think we can let the poor guy go. We have other characters we can ask hypotheticals for. Okay, not Ferdinand though. Leave him alone. <laughs> uh, uh, oh yeah, we do have a Doctor Donkey Kong already. He's he's already in. The... Is is there a canon Doctor Donkey Kong? No, no, we're not going down this route. We need to end it. <laughs> So if you like the BitCast... Why would you? Yeah, why, why would you? you? You listen to me talk about Donkey Kong in weird situations. What, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I mean, if you've, made, if you've made it through us for an hour and 14 minutes, you, you're pretty good. Yeah. Thank if you. If I don't split this into different videos, I don't know. Oh, and you're going to take out all of the pauses? Man, now people will be able to do the math and see just how much time we spent pausing. I said videos, I meant to say podcasts. Like, why do I think I'm a YouTuber? Yeah. Like, so clearly not. By the way, Philip, have you ever heard of Raid Shadow Legends? Oh, no. <laughs> I'm trapped. Be sure to follow the BitCast on Twitter and uh, Podcast One's website and mobile app. Do you have any plugs you'd like to make? Nope. Okay, bye, everyone. All right, goodbye. Listen to BitCast anytime on podcast1.com and on the Podcast One app.